0: Thanks for joining us again, and let's get to the service. Loving and gracious God, I thank you. I thank you for young people. I thank you for the vitality of life uh, that they bring into our worshiping community. Lord, we pray that during this time, may they experience the wonderful truth, that You are the Lord of all creation, and that You love them, and that You want a relationship with them. And Lord, as all the complexity of faith and things like that spin around, Lord, may that truth remain central to their journey of faith, indeed to all of us, that You love us and that You want a relationship with each of us. So Lord, I give You thanks and praise for the leaders that spend so much time and energy preparing and then presenting all that they have uh, for our young people. Uh, we thank You that we have uh, been called to hand the faith on to the next generations, and we thank You for the gift that we have in that. In Your name we pray, Amen. Well, if you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, we are journeying our way through Advent. And if you're not familiar with Advent, Advent is the, is the season that leads up to Christmas. It's four weeks li- out Four weeks out from, the, uh, from Christmas Day, uh, we celebrate across four Sundays um, an anticipation, basically, of the coming of Jesus. Because if you're not familiar, if this is your first time in church, you might not even know that Christmas is less about Santa than it is about Jesus, and that Christmas is the day that we celebrate the coming of God to earth in the form of a baby a birth of humour. I'll preach now, I'll preach a little bit more later on. So, but as we begin, part of our Advent tradition is uh, the lighting of the Advent wreath. And based on the wind coming through the door, this will be interesting, whether it happens or not, but we've lit three candles so far in uh, the Advent season. We've lit, we've lit the candles of hope, of peace, and of joy. And this Sunday we light the candle of love. And we are reminded, this wreath in many ways helps us to step into the broader traditions of the life of the church. So it's wonderful in that way that no matter how modern or traditional a church setting might be, things like this unite us with the broader body of Christ across the world. But we're reminded specifically of the candle of love, of the love that was poured out for each of us through Jesus Christ, His death on the cross, and quite simply that, that passage that we hear in John uh, 3.16, that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whomever believes in Him will never perish, but have eternal life in His name. And so for that, we give thanks for God's love. So the series that we have been working our way through in this Advent season has been, is called Songs of Hope as you see on the screens. We've been shining a fresh light on familiar Christmas carols, ones that you and I would know well, we've, that we've probably sung for our entire life, many of us, but we're having a fresh look. What, is it, what are those words that we sing to a familiar tune, most of which we don't even remember, and some of them we've never even understood them, uh, Mel looked at a couple of those uh, lyrics that are a bit curious in one of the hymns, uh, or one of the carols a couple of weeks ago, and it was really interesting to shine a fresh light and go, I don't actually like what that says, so w- help me understand it. And th- I found this such a fascinating process. Well, this week, we're looking at, perhaps maybe some of you, it's your most favourite uh, Christmas carol, and that is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And if you're not familiar with where this Uh, this song comes from. It's perhaps one of the oldest, um, or has its roots, the furthest back of any of the Christmas carols or hymns that you would be... I'm just going to use the term carol, because it's easier than using two or three uh, terms interchangeably. So this carol has the deepest roots back through history that we can find. It it links its way back to the 7th century, I believe, to an ancient Latin prayer. And it was, a, it was a, a red liturgy that was used in worship. And it had seven, seven stanzas, seven stages to it that declared a truth in Latin. And there was a responsive prayer that was, um, that was responded to by the congregation uh, with truth about God and about the truth of the incarnation of Jesus coming to earth. And so this, this hymn that we know of, this carol, is comes from that. I, sorry, my note, I said 7th. It was the 6th century. That always always throws me. Um, so, yeah, and the prayer book was known as the O Atiphons. Say that one with me, the O Atiphons. See, who said you didn't learn anything in church? O me is the prayer book in Latin. And so, there were seven steps to it, seven stanzas. But obviously, it didn't stay in Latin, It progressed through time, and it first appeared in the form that we know it in about the 18th century in Cologne, Germany, was where it was first written. And it included a a, a refrain that you would be familiar with. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, will be born to you, O Israel, in German, was where it first coined that phrase. And then it lost a couple of the stanzas and then picked them back up when it turned into English in the 19th century. And that version of it is largely the one that we sing today. So, with that in mind, I want you to listen to and join in, actually, with this hymn that we sing together, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And as you do, listen deeply to the, to the, the words. Think of the tone, Think of how it feels, because that's where I want to take us today with the rest of our time after we finish singing. So please stand and sing with us as the team leads us. Grab a seat for a minute if you like, that's okay. I wonder, what did you notice? What did you feel? Because it's, when it comes to these, when it comes to songs, when it comes to music, any anyone that's a composer, anyone that's spent any time shaping music to lyrics, or even lyrics themselves, would tell you that... Singing a song, worshipping, is not just about the words that we sing, it's about the music that accompanies it, because music attaches to our, our feelings, it connects with our emotions, and it's, the tones of the song are written on purpose, in the way that they are, to elicit feelings, to help us understand what it is that, that the author was trying to communicate. And this, this one is perhaps one of the most curious Christmas carols because it, it speaks of, frankly, a really dark moment in Israel's history. If you're not familiar with uh, the, the story of the Israelite people, of God's chosen people, they go through, journey, they go through a journey of favour with God and discipline of God. Over and over again, God, God delivers them from the brokenness of the world and calls upon them to be in relationship with Him. But over time, each time they put the trust they put their trust in the things of the world, in the, the gods of the nations around them. And over and over and over again, they turn their back on God. And God sends a prophet to them. And that prophet declares the truth that they have screwed it up again and that God is not happy with them and that they ought to turn from their wicked ways, turn back to the God that saved them from slavery in Egypt, that delivered them and that promised to be their God if they would choose to be His people. And most of the time, the people didn't listen and so most of the time, the prophets ended up being killed by the people of God and the people of God would end up in exile, in slavery, in bondage. Sometimes that was by a literal nation and other times it was just through their own dysfunction as a nation that their choices would end up leaving them in bondage. And I wonder, can you and I relate to that journey in any way? I can. (laughs) How many times does God have to call me back to faithfulness? How many times does God have to remind me of how good He is in my life? How many times does He have to prove His faithfulness? And the answer is, at least once more. And that's part of the human condition in many ways. And as we look at, this, at where this hymn begins, we read a verse from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And to give you the context of this passage, the Israelite people find themselves in exile again. Exiled into Babylon and in Assyria at two different times. But the author of Isaiah speaks truth into that for them. And this is a conversation, this is of, of this passage in verse in chapter 7. The king of Judah is having, uh, King Ahaz, is having kind of a conversation or a, with Isaiah the prophet and... Isaiah the prophet is asking him to ask God for something. God's there waiting for you. God wants to help you, but you just need to turn to Him. And Ahaz chooses not to turn back to God. He says, I will not ask. I will not put this Lord to the test, Yahweh to the test. And Isaiah responds, he says, hear now, you house of David, Is it not enough that you try the patience of humans that instead you try the patience of God? Therefore, if you don't want help, if you don't want to turn to God, God will provide a sign for Himself. God will respond to your request without you even asking. Verse 14, He says, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. And that sign is that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and he will be called what Emmanuel Emmanuel which means God with us so the prophetic word to a nation in exile was and and, and in struggle was even though you can't see a way out of this God is going to make a way for you He's going to make a way, in some cases, despite you. And, he, and the sign will be that one day, a baby is going to be born. And it's not, going to be, it's not going to have a human father. Instead, this baby's father is going to be God Himself. And in that way, He will be indeed the Son of God. In the first verse, it talks about Israel in exile. It talks about the brokenness of humanity. And, then, but it, and it continues. It speaks about the law that God hands on. It speaks about the way that God is going to carry them on. But what God brought me to today was verse 4. And we haven't sung it yet, but let me read it to you. It says, O come, O branch of Jesse. So, O O, come, O descendant of Jesse. Free your own from Satan's tyranny. From the depths of hell, from the depths of the grave, from the depths of separation from God, your people save. And give them victory over the grave. Now, it had me wondering early this week why it is that that verse stood out to me. What was it that God was trying to say, and I couldn't figure it out until Tuesday when I woke up to two tragedies. The first was the loss of a beautiful member of our congregation, Dorothea, hearing that she I sat and prayed with her on Monday afternoon and she died first thing Tuesday morning. I'm grateful to be able to pray with her, but it was a moment of realisation where I said, oh God, okay God, I see where you, you want me to go with this. That We don't have any answers to, for death. You and I in our humanity, we don't have any answers to death. But then I opened the, the news. And I saw, I read an article of the execution of two police officers doing their job up in Queensland. And if you don't know, I'm a police chaplain. I was a police officer before I entered the ministry. And I have friends that are chaplains up there and I have friends that are police officers in Queensland. And this one hit me right in the chest. If you want to talk Satan's tyranny... I don't ever want to get, I don't preach politically from this stage in any way, but if you want to talk about the tyranny in this world, it is the evil like that. And it's complicated, and it's messy. And as if you read the newsletter this week, I, I, I wrote so carefully about this situation and the call for us to pray, not just for those that lost their lives, but those that didn't, those that had to take a life, those that chose to take a life. It doesn't matter. All of them deserve and require our prayers and our intercession from our Heavenly Father because it is in those moments that we see the tyranny and the brokenness of our world at the hands of an enemy that, if you look across Scripture, Scripture quite simply calls the devil something called Satanus. And Jesus actually calls Peter Satanus doesn't he? In the Gospels. And you go, wow, that's super offensive. Imagine me calling any of you Satan. You'd punch me in the face. Thanks, pastor. But what does it mean? The term satanus simply means that which opposes the will of God in the world. That is what it means. Nothing more and nothing less. And sometimes it's a proper noun, so it's a being that embodies that thing. But sometimes it's just an idea. Sometimes it's just an ideology. Sometimes it's the embodiment of a perspective. So when Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, you are not thinking of the things of God, but merely the things of man. What is he saying? He's saying you are not seeing the world the way that God wants you to see it. Instead, you're just seeing it the way that your selfish heart wants to see it. And friends, when we talk about Satan's tyranny in the world, what we're talking about is we're talking about all the places in our life, all the places in our culture, in our town, where the will of God is not being realized. Where instead it is the journey of human selfishness. For what is sin? Sin is the selfishness of in our nature, yours and mine. So what do we do with that? Well, the truth of the matter is you and I, we can't do anything with that. There's nothing that we've got within our own being to overcome the tyranny of Satan in the world, Satanus in the world whilst we might be able to, by a conscious will, take a step or two in the right direction of goodness and and morality and, and what is right and just and generous, because we are created, you and I, in the image of God, and so we have some ability for a little while to do good and to see good happen and to show love, but it runs out at some point and we drift back, or indeed we have no capacity when that when the evil is particularly strong, we have no capacity to resist. And so, what do we do with that? Well, friends, the truth is, we, there's nothing we can do about it. But there's something that has been done about it. In the face of the brokenness of our world, there is nothing that we can do, but there is something that has been done. And let me read you, let me tell you about it. Matthew chapter 1, chapter 2. Sorry, chapter 1, verse 23. The angel speaks, appears to Joseph one night, 700 years after the prophecy that Isaiah wrote had gone unanswered, 700 years of prophetic silence, an angel speaks to a man promised to be married, who now discovers that his, soon his fiance is pregnant. How would you respond when you knew it wasn't you and you know how these things work? An angel appears to him and says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this is taking place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. Here's the words. Word for word. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Immanuel which means God with us. So in that moment, a truth that had been 700 years at least, scholars believe, in the making, comes to pass and God does something for the world that you and I are incapable of doing for ourselves. And as I mentioned before, we lit a candle of love today because what I talked about last week was that Jesus didn't stay a baby, did He? I talked about a way in a manger and the nostalgia of the six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus and the way that sometimes He stays that way in our hearts and in our minds, but instead He grew up, didn't He? And He grew up to be a man, a rabbi, a teacher, but that wasn't all He was he would be betrayed by a friend he would be beaten flogged and sadly crucified by rome on behalf of the jews and that he would die be laid in a tomb but 3 days later he would be risen from the dead and the tr- and what happened in that moment was that god conquered the grave. And that seems like such a strange thing to think about that for you and I that we would, we, when people stay, when people die, they stay dead. That was as true in the first century as it is now. And so God did something miraculous. God did something truly unique. God did something that had never been done before. He raised His Son, from the dead. And by doing so, proved that death has no power over God. That whilst for you and I, death might have a final say, in terms of our physical bodies, when we accept Jesus, death has no more sting. For all it does is it offers a new relationship with God. And so when I sat and reflected on all that is happening at the moment, of the death and of the brokenness. I wondered, God, where are you? And I realized that He's been there all along and that because of Him, death does not have the final say. Death is not the end, instead, God is sovereign. And as, at the beginning of Jesus' life, the angel declares a, a prophetic word. He says, he will be Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. And so the question that I was left with was saying, God, you say you're there. And you, we understand our faith tells us that you've conquered the grave. So we don't have to fear death anymore, but it still hurts and we still experience the brokenness. So what do we do with that? And God took me to the last verse of Matthew's gospel, the last thing that Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, that traveled with Him, that saw all that He did. The first things that are spoken over Jesus' life is that He will be God with us, Emmanuel. And then let's turn to verse 20, chapter 28, verse 20. With His disciples, after being raised from the dead, Matthew records this as Jesus' final words. He says, therefore go, we'll start in verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here is the last sentence. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. The last word of Jesus' ministry, the last thing He declares. The first word is I will be with you. God with you, and the last word is, I am with you, and I will be with you, I will stay with you, no matter what you go through, no matter what you've got going on, no matter the challenges, no matter the brokenness, no matter the way that death appears to have the final say, I am there with you, for how long? Forever, till the very end of the age that's not just the end of life. The word there is the, to the end of the eon, to the end of all things as we know it. That is the promise. And so in the face of this, this carol that seems to have such a heavy burden upon it, such a deep question of, God, where are you? I'm hurting. Israel, we are in exile. Humanity as we are now, all we look around and see is hurt and brokenness and pain. God, where are you? Emmanuel, I am there. Whether you feel me or whether you don't, I am with you. How long? To the very end of the age. That is the promise. And so I don't know, where does this land for you this morning? Because one of the things that's never lost on me at this time of year, and perhaps more acutely this week, is that when it comes to Christmas, so often it's a time of celebration, family, friends, all of that. But there's always a but in there for many. This is, I want to celebrate this, but there's an empty chair this year. But there's a shadow of brokenness that's lingering over my Christmas experience this year. And I want to, this morning, create a moment for you to place that thing, that, that feeling, that sense of brokenness, that sense of absence, the sense of loss, I want you to place that before Jesus this morning and acknowledge the pain and acknowledge the hurt and acknowledge the brokenness. And in some ways, it can be your exile prayer It says, God, I don't know where you are in all of this, but I trust that when you said you would be here, you are here. And so for you, that might be a a family member, it might be the grief of our world at this time, it might be the loss of a member of our congregation. Whatever it is, I invite you to take a moment of reflection this morning, a little bit different to the way we normally would finish a sermon, but I'm going to bring a a table to the front here and I'm going to light a candle and I invite you, if you want to, for a few minutes, to come forward and light a candle and place it on the table for that person, for that moment, for that feeling of exile that you're experiencing this morning, as a way of giving thanks, as a way of offering gratitude, but also as a way of just saying, God, maybe I don't understand, I'm angry, I'm hurt, but even in the midst of that, I hand it to You, because You promised that You would be with us, you be with me. So I want to invite the the band back up, they're just going to play for a couple of minutes, just in the background, just as a way of helping us to, to think, because remember I mentioned that songs offer an opportunity to attach to our emotions and to think and reflect, so they're just going to play, and I'm going to light a candle. And then i'm going to invite you to come forward as you wish to and if you can't but you would like me to light a candle for you please just slip up your hand and i will do that i don't think so because i believe this is a beautiful opportunity that god is inviting us into and that you are here f- as no way of it's not no accident that you're here and if you're joining us online and you want to participate just put a candle emoji in the chat seems so silly but i think it could be so significant so let's take this time to reflect on the exile that god that we find ourselves in but what god has done when he promised he'd be with us thanks chris forward if you wish to. for Is anyone else that would like to come forward? Don't be afraid. And in the moments of brokenness and in the darkness of this world, we... We trust that it is exactly as you said it would be, Emmanuel, God with us. For that truth we say, thanks be to God that in the darkness where there seems like there is no light we can say hallelujah the grave does not have the final say instead you are Lord so at this time of year when everything feels like it's meant to be celebration but there are moments of pain and despair. Lord, we pray that you would be with us. And we hand to you those loved ones that are represented by the candles here and in our hearts as well. We pray that you'll be holding them in your loving embrace. Trusting in the mercy of a loving and gracious God. In your name we pray. Amen